Welcome to Manufacturing Mastery with Graham Fitzgerald, the podcast. My name's Graham Fitzgerald, and for over 30 years, I've led some of Australia's largest manufacturing organisations, riding the highs and lows, the occasional failure, and the plentiful successes that inevitably come with being in business. This podcast is aimed at helping you, the progressive Australian manufacturer, with practical, current, and real-world advice on navigating your pathway to sustainable success in manufacturing. Myself and my special guests will cover everything from how to embed a planning framework into your business, new approaches to innovation, the importance of culture and how to lead change, and navigating the new normal as an Australian manufacturer. So manufacturers, let's master it. In today's podcast, I'm joined by a friend and colleague of mine, John Costley. John and I met almost 40 years ago when we were trainees working in BHP's Newcastle Steelworks. I think we were working in the steelmaking plant at the time. We've crossed paths many times since then. Over the last 35 plus years, John has built his knowledge, skills and experiences working in manufacturing and many other sectors. John stands out from many other manufacturing leaders because of his understanding of both the science and the theory about how and why things happen in business. In addition to this, however, he's also a practitioner, someone who has actually had responsibility for delivering results using that knowledge. John has held senior management positions in BHP and Alcoa and has completed major assignments in Australia and globally with companies such as ExxonMobil, BP, Origin Energy, Blackmores, Anglo American, AJ Lucas and Borrell. Today's podcast theme is the pursuit of excellence. When I decided on this theme, John was one of the first people I thought of. Over many years, I've learned that John is passionate about two areas that are foundations to achieving excellence. The first one is leadership and the other is improvement. In our time together, I hope we can share some of that passion and help on your journey to excellence. So welcome, John, to Manufacturing Mastery. I know we can talk for hours about the pursuit of excellence, and given our audience are busy people, I'll try and keep some of the sense of structure by asking some questions. So, John, can you tell us what's made you so passionate about leadership and improvement and how that's shaped your journey to today? Um, well, I think, Graham, it's come from a couple of sources. Um, one is that I was lucky enough, uh, particularly when I was working for, for BHP, to attend some fairly uh, well-structured and well-led leadership programs, had a couple of good um, mentors at the Stirworks in my early days, in my early career, around how leadership has an influence on outcomes. And then I was lucky enough to be promoted into positions where I could run my own departments with reasonable size budgets and the ability to set direction. And I was able to, and you were involved in some of these processes along the way of, of being able to implement and experiment to some degree what leadership is all about and particularly focused on what I call constructive leadership, which is about driving for excellence um, through and with the engagement of the people that you work with and also the engagement of customers and understanding what customers want and knowing that to where leadership joins improvement is that to get better is obviously in its own right saying we've got to improve every day and every month. And that's not only in the way we lead, but the way we operate, 
the way we identify um, improvement ideas, how we implement those improvement ideas and drive them to a conclusion that will do something to improve the business, whether that's a better product, whether that's a lower cost, whether it's an improvement in safety. There are so many things in manufacturing that we need to do if we're actually going to achieve excellence. So with that, um, that passion, obviously, how's that influenced you now, today, sort of 35 plus years later? Well, I don't think the passion's gone, Graham. I think as the more I've been in a position to actually lead um, in the manufacturing role or help influence others and develop others through my consulting business is that most of the things we know about constructive leadership, continuous improvement and manufacturing excellence is all pretty much known and understood. You can read it in a textbook. But what I'm passionate really about is those leaders in business and in manufacturing who want to learn, like I did over the last 40 years, to drive their businesses towards being the best and not sitting back trying to make excuses that, you know, if the government did this or we didn't have imports or it wasn't for my competition, we would be a great business. And my passion is around, you know, accepting the facts that, yeah, there are things outside our business that influence how good we are, but in essence, if we lead constructively, we identify benchmarks and we drive forward, you can become the best in your field, regardless of what's going on around you. And uh, I suppose the more I see of it, the more I learn, the more passionate I become about those critical things. So, John, I've heard you, you speak of uh, operations excellence. For our listeners, what do you mean by that description and how do you think it applies in Australian manufacturing today? Well, I think it's it's always been important, but it's even more important today. But operational excellence is about getting the best outcome you can out of any part of your manufacturing process every day. And, you know, looking at your people, are you getting the best out of your people because they feel engaged, that they feel important, that they want to contribute, um, the best out of our equipment? Um, are we operating at a, at a world-class overall operational OEE, for want of a better word, um, and measuring those things and driving those towards excellence and being able to benchmark those with um, some of the best manufacturers in the world. And, you know, it's being able to do that day in and day out. So how does that apply in Australia now, do you? Well, in Australia now is that we're a high-wage country. Um, tariffs have come down over years as a way to uh, improve our competitiveness but also allow us to compete on the globe, global scale. And in a global economy, um, if you're not the best, you won't survive. And, you know, we can't rely like we may have done 30 or 40 years ago on protectionism from our uh, government. Um, and if we want to compete, we want to export, we want to continue to grow our standard of living and, and what our children and grandchildren can expect in the future, we have no choice, in my view, to be excellent. And it's more important now than it's ever been. So you and your colleagues have uh, developed your BOSSEX framework that covers uh, the seven key imperatives in the pursuit of excellence. 
Can you tell us why there's so many areas? I understood that most consultants would suggest to focus on only on a critical few. Um, I think, Graham, after many years of working in businesses, consulting with other businesses, and then a lot of reading of what academics say about manufacturing and business in general, to be very good at it, to be world-class is not easy. Um, and the seven areas that we came up with in the, uh, in the Boss X model are the ones that when you filter it down, almost seven to me is the bare minimum. Um, when you look at it, you do need to have effective leadership in your business, create a culture that supports excellence, um, and build teams that can be high-performing teams in the workplace. And when I say that, it's whether that's in you know your, your, your sales team, your commercial team, your finance team, is that we've all got a part to play in providing effective and constructive leadership, building teams, and creating a, a culture that wants to drive towards excellence. Um, other areas in the BOSSEX model is, are things like management and planning, is that, yes, leadership and teamwork and culture gets a lot of talk in the, uh, in the press, but you've still also got to be able to manage your business and you've got to be able to plan, you've got to be able to monitor, you've got to be able to make tough decisions based on facts and based on knowing and having some understanding about what those how those decisions will impact on others. Um, you need to have people who are skilled in their roles, so understanding people's roles and responsibilities, being able to select good people, and then once you have good people in your business, it's being able to develop them to the stage that they're adding a lot of value and they're enjoying being in your business. Um, Business acumen is something that we talk about in the BOSX model as well as understanding what's happening inside your business from a financial point of view, whether that's uh, cash flow, whether that's your margins, whether it's your, you know, did you make a profit or a loss? All those sorts of things are important in running a business. Um, and then also the continuous improvement capabilities of things like, um, you know, being able to benchmark and find out who's the best in your field, be able to do and, and look at graphs and plot data to understand trends and see changes in your business or see changes in marketplace. So if you can narrow down, and I'm not going to go through all seven today, but when you narrow down and if you have a look on our website on LeadCI around the BOSSX model, you'll start to get a feeling of why those seven imperatives are there. And I must say there's a few subsets within those seven, Graham, so it's probably even more complicated than that. So um, so you, you actually touched on one there, um, one of the, the key components of the model, uh, leadership, culture and teamwork. It stands out as an area where over many years you've been working, learning and seeking to gain mastery. Can you share with us why you see this as so critical in the pursuit of excellence? Um, yeah, I think the main thing, Graham, is that as a leader, um, really understanding that leadership is your or our ability to influence others. And if we believe truly as a leader in a business that you must achieve excellence to be competitive both within Australia and within the world, then that's something you have to believe as, as the owner or senior manager in the business. And being able to constructively convey that message and 
add to that your behaviours that support the message starts to get others to, to start looking the same direction around, okay, the boss believes that excellence is achievable. He's talking to us about it. He's giving us some examples about leadership and how it works and how we achieve uh, excellence. And the people who start to work for you start to believe it's true as well. And as they believe it's true and they're getting opportunities to input ideas and you're supporting them in implementing those good ideas, they start to feel as if, yep, we can achieve excellence and I can be part of it. And this is actually quite enjoyable. And so as that starts to happen through leadership, then the culture develops based on the way we do things around here. So if the boss is constructive and he's wanting to engage with his people or her people and people start to do the things that are, I suppose, synonymous with with excellence, then it becomes the way we do things. And the final part of that, Graham, as we know, is that you can't do it all alone and depending on the size of your business, it's often got to be done in teams. And so if the culture's there that supports teamwork, then teams start to form, teams start to uh, develop their own goals with respect to how they can support the business and then start to drive towards excellence within their own teams as well. So it really is... I suppose excellence and leadership, and particularly my term, constructive leadership, is so important to drive towards excellence, both in the short and long term in a business. And when I talk about constructive leadership, I suppose you should introduce the other two sorts of leadership that I think uh, can't support excellence in a business. And one is what I would call passive leadership, where People are avoiding issues, um, making good reasons as, well, in their mind, good reasons as to why their business can't be excellent. And I see it in my consulting role that we in Australia can't be excellent. We can't compete with the world because of unions, because of governments, because of whatever reason. To me, they're excuses um, and people hiding behind the fact that they either are unable or unwilling to lead in the right way. And the other side of it, I suppose, is, is, is the aggressive side of leadership where people believe that having power over others will drive their business towards excellence. And I've seen businesses where managers have been successful to a point by, you know, applying their, their status and their power over others to drive improvement. But it can only go so far because people who are not happy to live in that type of culture which develops from a, a power or a competitive driven leader will actually start, good people will leave because their boss, they get the feeling at the end of the day that their boss doesn't care about their good ideas. They only care about the boss's good ideas. And so you start to lose people from your business who had you led in a different way, may have been quite helpful to the business, but all of a sudden, because they're not listened to, they don't feel engaged, either just shut up or they pack up. And so, you know, understanding leadership in the right terminology and, and the constructive form of leadership, I think is imperative in driving excellence, and that's what we need in today's manufacturing. I was talking to a new leader 
earlier this morning about um, he's a manufacturing leader and he's been in the role three or four months. And the thing that we were talking about was storytelling. So leadership in some respects is telling the story of the vision. Is that, have we got that right? Is that how you see it? I think telling the story about the vision is important. I think it's all of the storytelling about, uh, you know, the ups and downs we've had in our careers, yeah, yeah. you know, the things we tried that didn't work. Yeah. There's often some good stories we could tell there. I certainly shared those with him. Yeah. <laughs> There's also some really successful stories and, you know, it's trying to tell those around what are the outcomes in, in a business sense but also in a in an own personal sense of being a constructive leader and I think in my experience, Graham, is being able to, you know, paint a picture of what the future looks like for your employees and for those stakeholders in your business is vitally important. And where they fit. And where they fit. And Within that vision, yeah. Correct. And, and, you know, they might not stay with you forever, but over the next three years, if you've got a really good up-and-coming person in your business painting a picture of the future for the business but also for them is what will motivate them to get involved. They may only stay with your business for three years, but if they put in a lot of hard work and give you a lot of great ideas, then it's a win-win outcome. My business gets some great ideas. The person who's coming through the business learns some skills, and if they take it somewhere else, so be it. It's a win-win. And I think that's the world we live in. You know, most of the research says people will stay with you from three to five years. Well, let's make their experience with us enjoyable um, because who knows, they might go and then they might come back. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> the way of the world. I, I couldn't agree more with you, sir. So part of the, the aim of this podcast is to actually um, provide our listeners with something they can take away and apply in their own business. Yep. So as a practitioner uh, with responsibility for achieving real business results, can you share with us one of your the greatest challenges in manufacturing you had and how you tackled it? Well, I think, Graham, we've had this conversation many times and um, you were part of this process. And for those listeners out there, Graham and I uh, first worked together in a management role back in 1995 in the Steelworks in Newcastle. And uh, well, lucky enough, we didn't think so at the time to um, be responsible for turning around one of the large departments there. Um, 250 employees, um, and at that time, it was probably the most dysfunctional group of people that I've ever met. Um, the business had just spent about $25, $30 million in capital to upgrade the, the rolling mill. Um, we made 600,000 tonnes a year of product, um, and the business really hadn't improved anywhere since what, what had happened, what it had been doing for the last 10 years. So. Really what we did is we probably went back to the textbook and what we'd learned from some of the leadership and, and started to paint a vision and communicate a vision of what the business could be. We went out and we listened to the people and understood because they were dysfunctional. They were threatening. They were angry people. They were unionised. And most people say, well, it was the union's fault. Um, what Graham and I learned was it wasn't the union's fault. It was the previous managers who hadn't pretty much followed through on things that they'd agreed to do. And what Graham and I and others did in that role was to sit back and listen to what was irking the people. And we slowly started to to implement some low-hanging fruit to change some perceptions of those people that managers could actually listen and do things. 
And we did. And the more we did as managers to get people engaged and take away what I might call excuses or impediments to change, people started to come on board. Um, We had a vision. We started to bring people on board. We started to ask them for their ideas about how we could improve. And we started to implement. But also at the same time, we started to look outside the business. We started to look at what does world class look like? in the sort of business that we were running at the time. And we went to Europe, we went to Japan, and um, we identified a place in Japan which was world-class. And they were good enough to um, sign a uh, technical agreement with us to help us. So we went outside and we looked and we got the help. And we probably, with the help of the... um, with the Japanese firm, we probably advanced in two years what would have taken us 10 or 15 years by ourselves. Um, So we'd engaged, we had a vision, we developed a plan, we'd started to engage our own people, we knew what world-class looked like. And the other good thing that we were lucky enough to do was we took some operators and we took some tradesmen to Japan and showed them what world-class looked like. And when they came back into Wrestling Graham, you'll probably remember, they came back and said, well, John, we could probably do that. There's no reason why we can't do that apart from some focus and, and, and time. And so over time, step by step, we worked our way through. And over the, the, the next three years, we got close to achieving world class. We, from a safety perspective, we eliminated, you know, reduced our um, injuries by 90%. We improved our productivity by about 35%. We brought our costs down by 20 to 25%. And on most of the KPIs, we were within 10 to 15% of what world-class looked like. And um, that continuation people who followed after uh, I left in the, in the late 90s continued on that process under your guidance, Graham. And interestingly, it's the one part of BHP um, that's still operating in Newcastle today. So from, a, from an integrated steelworks point of view, so I think, pretty long-winded answer, but that's probably the greatest example that I've got. Apart from the fact the process we use there has worked in other areas as well. Yeah, I think one of the good things is that They've continued to build on the platform and yep. uh, really giving credence to the standing on the shoulder shoulders of the people who've gone before is one of the things that makes that particularly successful and uh, a, a great sense of achievement. So, yep. oh, thank you. That's a um, so it's now more than uh, thirty five years since you started on your journey. Um, what's been your greatest lesson that time, and how's it influencing you today? Oh, the greatest lesson. I don't know. There's been so many. Um, I, I think the greatest lesson is that when you're put in a position to lead, then you've got to decide yourself how you're going to take on the challenge. Um, and you can't blame the past. The past is gone. Um, all you can really do is understand what you have today to work with look forward to what world-class could look like and accept the fact that it's going to take time to make that change. So you're, if you're the leader, you've got the ability to make and the responsibility and the accountability to make the change um, and get on with it. And then the other thing is engage people to help. Um, 
We engaged the Japanese to help us from a technical perspective. We engaged some outside consultants to help us understand more as a, as a, as a, as a large group of uh, people what leadership and teamwork was all about. Mm. Um, so we, we didn't, we weren't concerned that we didn't know everything. If we didn't know it, we went out and asked people who did and we got them to help. And that, and that still applies today? Still applies today. And uh, as a consultant nowadays, I'm probably on the other side of the table where I got a, I, I'm the one that gets asked to go in and help. Um, and the interesting thing is still, Graham, that there is, I'll put it in ratios, probably a third of leaders out there in manufacturing who want to be excellent and they understand it and they'll look for the help and they'll engage the help. There's another third who think perhaps they've got it right and they know what to do and they don't need anyone's help. And they'll make good progress and, uh, yep. and, and so on. And there are others who are just willing to accept the status quo and they'll survive for a little while, but they won't drive Australian manufacturing to where we want it to be successful in the future. Well, I know we could probably talk for uh, hours on uh, discussing leadership, uh, continuous improvement and excellence. Uh, as it applies in Australian manufacturing, but um, you know we, we probably need to uh, let people get back to to doing a, a little bit more manufacturing. So uh, thank you for your time and your insights today. You can contact John on LinkedIn or uh, via the website at www.leadci.com. So thanks, John. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for being part of this week's episode. It was great to have you. I'm always keen to hear your thoughts, questions, ideas and suggestions for future topics for the podcast. So please get in touch through my Facebook page, Graham Fitzgerald, Manufacturing Growth Specialist, my LinkedIn page or via my website, grahamfitzgerald.com.au. That's G-R-A-E-M-E fitzgerald.com.au. If you're enjoying what I'm putting out here, please rate, review or subscribe to the podcast so more manufacturers can find out about it and we can build our community of masterminds manufacturing in this great nation. Talk to you soon.